Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,654. Some say he could drift before he could walk, and others say he's always been ahead of COVID-19. Here on Cars Yeah, we just call him The Stig. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! I'm very revved up today. I'm actually across the pond in the United Kingdom talking to somebody very special. You may know him as the Stig. I know him as Perry McCarthy. Perry, welcome to Cars Yeah! Mate, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Indeed. Lovely to be with you, Mark. Thanks very much. And hello to all your listeners. Absolutely. Now, before I jump into the questions and give you a proper introduction, I want you to tell us something. Since you were kind of an enigma, you're this mystery man for so long, I want you to tell us one thing that maybe most people don't know about you. I'm incredibly good looking. Well, I can see that from my Skype, but you know, <laughs> this is audio only, so we're going to have to that's why they covered me up. They couldn't take it, Mark, on how good looking I was. They put a crash on my own, black the visor out. Yeah, you make those three guys look pretty bad, Perry. You're such a handsome dude. <laughs> uh, something about me that people don't know. I don't know. It's There's a lot of stuff, but if people read my book, they know a lot about me. Um, I enjoy playing the piano a bit. I've increasingly enjoyed more of the gardens because we've got a, a fairly big plot here with trees and everything else. So I do a lot of tree surgery, which keeps me fit. I think that's about it, really. Egg, bacon, tomatoes and mushrooms, probably my favorite meal. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, where I spent my weekend working in the yard. And I'll tell you, my hand is very sore from clipping all the I was trimming bushes my wife always says that when I my approach to gardening is bonsai uh, I tend to sit there for a long time and clip a branch and look and clip a branch and she just takes a chainsaw and cuts it off at the base and says it'll grow back so <laughs> <laughs> there you go I like that tree surgery well let me give you a proper introduction and we're going to jump into some questions here Perry McCarthy is a past Formula One driver and Le Mans driver a best-selling author we're going to talk about his book a corporate speaker presenter and he was the original secret driver on BBC's Top Gear TV show, otherwise known as The Stig. With virtually no money and working on North Sea oil rigs to fund his initial entry into racing, Perry climbed into the top of international motor racing against all odds. Perry's well known for his flat-out approach to life. That's why I wanted to have him here today and also for his famous sense of humor. He's the chairman of the infamous Rat Pack, consisting of F1 drivers Damon Hill, Johnny Herbert, Mark Blundell, Martin Brundle, Derek Warwick, Julian Bailey, and Martin Donnelly. And at 58 years old, he made a comeback in racing back in 2019 in the ultra-exciting Titans RZ European Rally Cross Champion. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Perry, but first a word from our very valued sponsors that make this show possible. He was into racing. He knows the value of sponsors and money. So sit tight, give our sponsors a little love, and we'll be right back. We're with the stick. Do you have a pet in your household that loves to go for a ride? Our pets are part of our families, but they can be very hard on your vehicle's interior. Well, Covercraft has you covered. They offer a wide variety of solutions to protect your vehicle's interiors from Fido's rough treatment. Canine cargo area covers are padded for comfort and provide door-to-door -door protection. 
Pet pads have built-in features to keep cargo areas and seats protected. Covercraft solutions cover cargo areas, bucket or bench seats, and protect from damaging claws, pet fur, hair, mud, moisture, and that occasional drool from permanently damaging your vehicle's delicate surfaces. Choose from a variety of styles and colors that cover almost every vehicle made. Is your dog getting a little old? Covercraft even has a pet ramp so your trusted companion can get himself into and out of your vehicle. Here's something special to you from me at Cars Yeah. If you go to Covercraft.com and use the code Yeah120, Y-E-A-H-120, you get 10% off your Covercraft order. Go to Covercraft.com today and use the code Yeah120 and you'll get this special 10% off. Tell Fido it's from me. That's Covercraft.com. Use Yeah120 at checkout. Covercraft, they've got you covered. Woof. American Collectors Insurance, that's how I now protect my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush. Are you insuring your classic vehicles on your regular daily driver auto policy? Then your special vehicles are at risk. Your regular auto insurance carrier won't tell you how much you'll get until after a claim, and more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With a agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. If you're driving your collector car less than 5,000 miles a year, do what I did. Call American Collectors Insurance and get your very own agreed value policy tailored to your specific vehicle. If you're like me, you're picky about who works on your special ride. A great policy allows you to choose your repair shop of choice, and that means you'll know the job is done right. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. I did at American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, we're back, Perry. And I want to start with a success quote or a mantra for a guy who's been through the incredible life that you've been through. There must be some kind of saying that has meaning for you. It's a nice way to get the tires smoking here on Cars Yeah. I know you love to drive, bud, so here's the wheel. Um, this has never been deliberate, to be honest. It's just it's just me. Uh, I'm, sometimes I wish it wasn't, but it's uh, the mantra is whatever it takes. And that really has been my life. It's it, it wasn't something that I thought, oh, I've read this and that's it and I've got to do whatever it takes. It's just been me. What you know, if there's an obstacle, if there's a problem, I find a way to go through it, over it, round it, under it, anything. Just keep challenge, keep thinking. That's not just in motor racing. It's about all sorts of things in life. And you know, I'm still in business and not everything runs smoothly. So that's that's really the attitude. And I think I don't know. It it is quite extreme how far I do take that, and I I think maybe sometimes it uh, gives people the cold shivers. <laughs> but you know, generally I, I like to think I'm affable. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm quite quite focused. If I've got something I want to do, then 
I'm bloody focused, you know? Yeah, well, you have to be. I mean, to be a, a racer for sure, to get into the Formula One world for sure. And I want to talk more about your business because you've done a lot of very cool pivots in your life from the very beginning to working on oil rigs to saying, I think I want to go racing. How am I going to do this? And then actually doing it which at that level is absolutely phenomenal. And then, of course, all the different business aspects of how you pivoted your life since then and moved into a lot of different things, including corporate speaking, motivational speaking, driving people. So talk to me more about what has you excited these days about jumping out of bed and going to work, other than going out and maybe uh, surgering some trees. <laughs> well, actually, you've just reminded me about the oil rigs. Crikey, that was you know, that was unpleasant. It really was. I was out there for two years, wow. you know, and uh, yeah, after three weeks, just, I stood on the heli deck throwing bread to the helicopters. Come and get me, birdie. <laughs> take me take me away from here, please. Yeah. But uh, it was a way to earn the money. And when I was, you know, shot blasting or painting or carrying stuff, you know, I was doing that with 20% of my head. The other 80% was immersed in saying one day I'm going to be a racing driver. And that was the, the only way that I got through being out there. And clearly, of course, there's a lot of people who I don't mean to denigrate what they do. There's a lot of people who have that as a full time career. But let's just put it this way. It definitely wasn't for me. It was a means to an end. And then, of course, once I did get started, it was, you know, there it was a question of being on my own mark. There was no, you know, family behind me or no sponsors, pardon me, or no uh, managers and, you know, mentors do this, do that, etc. So, it was just saying, right, well, you know, I need to get some funding, keep phoning people up, keep learning how to get into them, what do they want, try and try and think, okay, you know, to, to try and learn a little bit about marketing as you go along. And then obviously the parallel career being the racing driver is to try and be fastest and make sure I win all the time. But I'm sorry, I've gone around the houses because you asked me kind of what I was doing nowadays. And no, I, that gets us there. That gets us there. Oh, you know, okay. this oh, history, oh, this oh. history is really <laughs> important to me. And uh, the fact that you got into the pinnacle of racing without having a lot of the racers, even today, they have family money behind them or yeah. big corporations. I mean, you did it the hard way. It was honest to God. It was really, really tough going because you know, motor racing is like a pyramid. Every time you go up a stage into something faster or better team, better formula, you know, it costs more and more and more money. And it's got to be found somewhere. I think there's an old adage, you go as fast as your checkbook. And that can <laughs> apply because if you haven't got the budget, you don't do the testing, you don't put new tires on, you don't have the fresh engine rebuild. And that's all time. You know, it's, it's all few tenths of a second or half a second or whatever. And when you're against drivers who are really fantastic drivers, you can't give them anything. You can't give them any advantage. Or if you do, they're going to be faster than you. That's all there is to it. You know, I've always thought that I'm, yeah, particularly fast, but there's a few other people out there and they're not exactly donuts. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not out there five seconds quicker than anybody. I can do it with any kind of equipment. I can't. So sometimes you pay the price for that. But I think that my attitude was that if I couldn't win the race and get onto the podium, I could win it reputationally so that if people could see that I'm putting something on the grid that couldn't be qualified or putting it into the points where other people weren't qualifying that car or that your teammate, you know, they're always a great judge against what you're doing. If you could go a lot faster than them, then that's, that's the way to win. So 
that's how I kind of kept the reputation going for people to keep giving me, you know, another half chance here or a half chance there and then to grab hold of it by the neck. But it's not the brightest way to go about motor racing. It, it really isn't. You know, it's there were way, way too many times where, you know, there was no time for me. So it was, you're in the car, I've got a set of time. And honest to God, sometimes I went into a corner and just kept my foot flat and turned in and probably prayed. You know, <laughs> oh, I know you're not, so, yeah, yeah. you know, top racing drivers aren't supposed to be scared or anything else. I can guarantee you there was a whole bunch of times when I was probably petrified. But you just, because you've got just a bunch of laps, no testing, and you've got to beat the drivers who have been in this car all year to try and get that drive. And you just go, well, you make a decision. And that's it. So luckily enough, I stayed on the track most of the time, Mark, but I didn't always have that luxury. <laughs> well, you know, what's great, and I can tell by your personality, Perry, this is why you became part of that incredible group of drivers. Uh, I mentioned it at your intro, the Rat Pack, you know, some really outstanding drivers and incredible people. As you became a part of that group, if you will, uh, were they accepting because of your personality or because of your drive or is it just you kind of clicked with them as motor racers? Yeah, I I think that, you know, I've, I, I'm not one of these people who dismiss other people's efforts or their talents or, or whatever. And I like to believe that my little pack are exactly the same. You know, we all recognize within us that we've got some pretty special qualities. I mean, Damon, it's pretty easy to talk about him because he won all the races and he won the world championship. But Damon's also, you know, some of the things I really admire about him is a very thoughtful person. He's, he's, he's intelligent and he's, he's really got a wacky sense of humor. And I think that, you know, when we're together, he, he kind of trusts me so he can go into being like that and it's exactly the same way back. And then you look at people like Johnny Herbert, you know, incredibly determined what Johnny came through after his terrible accident. He's, he's bravery. It's all very well to say this and your listeners are hearing, oh, Johnny's been very brave. Mark, Johnny was around my house because we were neighbors when he had that terrible accident in Formula 3000. Mm. He was around my house a lot when he was recovering. And I'm not kidding you. I, I had tears in my eyes seeing how much pain he was in and the determination of him to to make it all happen and come back. And, you know, so there's all these qualities from these different drivers. So I think that the the underlying quality is that of focus and determination and commitment. Uh, I think that comes with the territory. But everybody's got slightly different personality traits. You know, people, some people are real good at putting deals together. Some people, are, you know, take Jonathan Palmer as an example. You know, Jonathan, there's no flies on him. Ex-Formula One driver now <laughs> owns most of the circuits in Britain. And he's got a mind like a steel trap. So there's always things that I kind of find attractive about my little bunch. Plus the fact that they all like a laugh and a few drinks when we get together in London every year. Yeah, no doubt. Let's move into your life as the Stig, this mystery man, if you will. Uh, I'd love to understand how that role came about, what it was like doing that as nobody really knew who you were. And of course, I remember that one show where they had the Stig walk in and take his helmet off and it was Michael Schumacher. And of course, everybody goes, I don't think so, but that's kind of fun. So talk a little bit about this life as the Stig, this mystery man on the track. 
Well, two steps back, because my career had been so up and down and, and had so many outrageous moments, to be quite honest, both on and off the track, and everybody used to think that I've got two remarkable abilities, uh, an ability for getting myself into a lot of trouble <laughs> and, and an ability for getting myself back out of it. So everybody said, look, you've really got to write a book. So I did. And we'll come on to that a bit in a minute. Yeah. So I wrote the book and it was picked up by Haynes. And we had this big launch party in London um, because I was driving for Audi at, at that time that it was launched. And we had a lot of friends there from Formula One and from TV and all sorts of areas of life, um, but including Jeremy Clarkson and his uh, producer and great friend uh, who were at the party. And it was there that Jeremy said, hey, listen, we've got an idea for you. Uh, we're bringing Top Gear back because then it had been off air for a while. And they said, we've got this idea. We want you to be this secret racing driver and, and as you know the first stick was in black and he said well, you, you'll be dressed in black boots black overalls, black gloves, black crash helmet black visor and we're going to call you the gimp the g- <laughs> yeah and I said uh, no you're not no that doesn't flow off the tongue very well absolutely and I've seen Pulp Fiction you know the film and oh, I yeah. Thought, oh I yeah. fancy being known as the gimp, the gimp so no. I kind of pressed the point home a bit and finally they understood it. And so they finally named me the Stig. And I said, okay, that's cool. And real quick story there is that Andy Wilman and Jeremy, Andy is the you know editor, producer of Top Gear, they were at school together. And it was a private school. And it was a bit like those old Tom Brown school days things, you know, where they've got the new the new kids who start and they beat the living daylights out. Yeah, a little bit make- of hazing going on. All that kind of stuff. And because they thought that the newcomers were useless, they had a word for them. And they used to call them stigs. Uh, so Jeremy thinks all racing drivers are useless to humanity. So he thought, the stig. And I saw the gag and I went, yeah, I'll go along with that one. But I didn't want to be walking down the street years later and people go, look, there goes the gimp. No, no, that didn't sound so. The stig is much more manly. <laughs> yeah, but it was quite funny, actually. So we, we set sail with that idea, and it was going to be this secret, you know, racing drawer, and that's it. And then I was sitting down with the legal people at BBC, and they said, you know, you know you can't tell anybody. So I said, yeah, I, I know. I've given my word. I've shaken hands. No problem. And they said, no, you can't tell anybody. I said, yeah, I know. I've got it. I said, well, I'm going to have to tell the wife. They said, no, 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 you can't, can't tell the wife. Really? Not even your wife? I said, no, listen, mate. I said, I said I'm going to have to tell the wife. He said, no, you can't tell. I said, no, trust me on this. I'm going to have to tell the wife. He said, why is that? I said, mate, you try sneaking out the house six o'clock in the morning, dressed from head to foot in black leather and saying, don't worry, I should be back around midnight tonight, but nothing's going on. He said, I see your point. You can tell the wife. <laughs> well, yeah, I would think so. That makes for a good marriage. That's for sure. Well, this role as Stig that everybody knows so well, you know, people have probably asked you a million things about it, but I'm going to ask this. What was your favorite part of being the Stig? Um, I mean, the Driving the cars was nothing mega to me, to be quite frank, because even if you're in a new Ferrari or Lambo or Conan Zega or whatever it is, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. Um, and of course, you know, I owe it to myself as, as much as anybody else to take them to, you know, definitely as the absolute outer envelope more that I can do anyway. But uh, I, I guess... I enjoyed being with some of the celebrities that we had on what we call, we had a section called 
star in a reasonably priced car. Yes. So we had this little Suzuki Liana and we'd have a celebrity turn up and they would sit in the passenger seat. I'd take them out, give some advice and saying, okay, this is where you need to be turning in. This is how you brake. This is how you do this. Right. La -di -da -di -da. Then I'd sit in the passenger seat Well, they took me around a few laps and I'd try and encourage them and say, oh, okay, well, that's pretty good. Or, well, maybe try doing that or that. And I probably enjoyed that because the Suzuki Liana was a really slow car. I wouldn't enjoy doing that sitting <laughs> next to somebody with no experience in a really quick car. Right. So that that was a bit of fun. I think yeah. that was um, about it. But it wasn't me, Mark. You know, it's I, I'm a racer. You know, I just I'm not really a test driver just going round and round. I, you know, it's I want to be against somebody. And, you know, if somebody's maybe taken the same car and they've gone a fraction quicker than me, I wouldn't be too happy about that. So I'd be jumping back in and saying, right, let's find that attempt <laughs> or something but that's that's the nature of competition and so yeah that's that's my background the the top gear stuff the the most enjoyable thing i guess really was seeing the reaction and engagement to audiences worldwide to the new top gear and that they really loved this character the stig yes and so as soon as we kicked off i kind of had this idea because you know i am a fairly chatty bloke But sometimes if I'm about to get in a car for qualifying and people want to talk to you, it's it's a bit difficult because I don't want to be rude, but I've got something on my mind. And to a degree, you know, they're being rude, thinking about having a chat with you, thinking nothing's on your mind. So you would naturally like to just say, look, take a run and jump, sunshine. I'm, I'm busy, you know, but you can't you can't do that. Right. So you develop a way of just saying, catch you later, old son. Yeah, bit busy. Yeah, and then just turn off. And if they insist, then they really are being rude. So that's how I'd play it. But I just thought, well, the Stig doesn't have to engage with any of those niceties. It can be just a complete nightmare. Right. It can just be this driving battery that doesn't understand human interaction and just doesn't even understand speech, emotions, or, or responsibilities, or how to be convenial. Nothing. Yeah. It's just drive. So that's when I thought, okay, just fold my arms, look completely disinterested in anything, look as if I don't even understand anything except <laughs> driving. And I think that's really how we kind of, uh, I hope that's how the personality of the stick developed. But they did come from that thing that all racing drivers experience, whereas that kind of selfish thing inside where you just don't want to engage with anybody. All you want to do is do your job. Right. But instead of it just being a part of your life, the stick is like that all the time. Hasn't got many friends to stick, you know. <laughs> no, no, he's a pretty solitude dude. You know, let's talk a little bit about a life challenge or a life failure. And the reason I bring this up is more how you overcame that. The book talks about that uh, and getting into racing and not having a, a pot to piss in, as they say, or a dime yeah. to spend. Uh, so I'd love for you to talk about that. But more importantly, what was the really valuable learning lesson that helped you come out in a positive way after that experience. So take us on a deep dive. Well, I've, you know, as I kind of want to be motivational and everything else, but, you know, I'm not superhuman. It does leave some scars. Um, you know, I think that anybody who's not disappointed about anything in their life probably hasn't tried, you know. This mantra that we were talking about before of whatever it takes Yeah, there is an emotional sacrifice to that. You you put everything of yourself into something. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm stubborn and I'm hard-headed. But, you know, I've, I kind of, um, things can hurt. But 
I probably was built to not let people see that. They'd always think, oh, Pell will shrug it off and he's always laughing and that's it. So I guess it was a bit of a protective mechanism. And, you know, I'm kind of like that. But inside, uh, you know, you, you're trying, you're pushing, you're giving everything. And clearly, of course, I was terribly lucky that uh, there was a whole bunch of times when I had a reward for doing that. But the ultimate objective was a bit of a long shot. You know, I wanted to be in Formula One, so I did get there. But of course, I didn't want to be there and make up the numbers. So it's, I wanted to win Formula One races, and I would have loved to have challenged for the world championship. So when I got to Formula One, as you probably know, the team, you know, the, the team I was with were just awful. But before I kind of criticise them too much, you know, there wasn't a complete line of teams standing there saying, "Hey, Perry." drive for us at all costs and we want to give you five million quid you know right, right it's this was my only way in because by the time i got into formula one i was actually 31 and so was damon we went in in the same year wow you know actually damon was 32 by the time he got in so um we were kind of late comers but then i'd you know i'd been in america with you guys and it had gone so well for me out there you know i'd been on pole a lot and leading everything and that was great so to come from being kind of hopefully recognized in a very good way to then looking like the mutt of the pit lane was a bit kind of you going, you know, you couldn't look at anybody in the eye after a while um, because we we were so far off the pace. Yeah. And it was um, and we weren't just off the pace. I mean, the car was actually dangerous as well. So we weren't just slow. I stood the best chance of getting smacked up, you yeah, know. Yeah. So the, all of these things. Again, I think I've sorry, I think I've gone the, a long way around the houses answering your question. So I still, even today, invest completely and emotionally in whatever I'm doing. But I don't I don't get everything right or things don't always come together. And I do, I think it's it's not skill, I do have an attitude of resilience about me to quite literally bring down a, an iron wall and just say, right. That's that's dead in the water. That messed up, or Perry, you messed it up, or the circumstances weren't right, or whatever. But it's but you can't keep crying over spilt milk. But there is a scar to it, and you do learn a bit more. I don't want to learn so much that I become completely cautious, paralysis by analysis. But you do take things on board. But I would say that whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, my complete commitment to whatever it is is actually still there they've not beaten it out of me yet mark <laughs> that's not due until wednesday of next week not gonna happen not gonna happen i appreciate you taking us there and i understand let's take a short break and thank our sponsors we come back i want to dive into this personal passion you have for cars we're going to talk about your book we're going to talk a little bit more about what you're doing these days to keep the life of fun in the automotive world so keep your seatbelt on we're still on the track with the Stig, Perry McCarthy. Be right back. Let's step away from the conversation to talk about our charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits that are working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through automotive-related events 
car shows, and drives. Among those nonprofits is RPM Foundation, a terrific organization working to keep our favorite collector cars on the road. RPM was created to ensure that the specialized skills needed to care for classic automobiles, boats, and motorcycles continue to be passed down from generation to generation. They do this by supporting training for young people with a passion for restoration and setting them up with mentors who can share their valuable knowledge. So far, they've awarded more than $3.5 million to restoration education projects across 35 states. Incredible! To learn more about RPM or to donate to their mission, visit www.rpm.foundation. You'll be glad you did. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yow for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. So, what do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 podiums, multiple Daytona wins, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're a racer and the Racers Group team owner, Kevin Buckler, you start Adobe Road Winery. It's located in Petaluma, California. And he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series. Four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, wrapped in a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today, I'm going to talk about Shift. This wine was awarded 93 points by Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. It's balanced and spicy with dark blueberries and a cigar aroma. The unique bottle shape features a vintage-inspired metal gated shift back with carbon fiber, and the cork is topped with a five-speed shift knob. That's right. There's going to be some battles at the dinner table on who gets to keep the cork after this bottle has been enjoyed. The Racing Series is a delicious gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word in caps, at checkout, you get $10 off any purchase of the wines from the Racing Series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout and get $10 off your purchase from the Racing Series today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH today. Cheers! All right, Perry, we're back, and I want you to tell me a story that instigated this deep passion you have for cars, because 
the fact that you made it to Formula One, you raced in Formula One, and then you went on to do some other fun things with cars. And here you are. Uh, I won't call you an old chap because you and I are close to the same age. So we're young men uh, at this point in our lives. We're just pivoting a lot in what we're doing. What was that pivotal moment when you look back in your life, when you knew that you were going to be a race car driver and a car guy? Oh, crikey, that happened to me really late. I mean, I I've got pictures of me as a really young child sitting in a little uh, little child's pedal go-kart and then standing next to my dad's Hillman Husky, which is a yeah, <laughs> really, yeah. really small little old car uh, then. And and I used to draw cars when I was a kid and and read about cars. And I don't know, it was that, that I've got a bit of an arty side to me. So cars and their lines and their design – that's always been something that I appreciate. And then I love the noise of a car. And for some reason, from a very early age, I love speed. And the only way I was able to get my kicks was on my racing push bike, which I took to, I did some really stupid things with that. You know, it's just, I had some really big accidents as well. But that was, so there was a few elements there that were kind of, hadn't quite connected the dots yet, but they were kind of simmering. And one particular time I was, I played piano a little bit. And so I was demonstrating keyboards in a friend's music shop. Yeah. And this elderly fellow walked in and I didn't realize my pal who owned the shop had set me up on this. He was actually an instructor at Brands Hatch and I didn't know. Ooh. And he said, um, what do you want to do for the future? Are you going to be a musician? I said, no, I'm not good enough because I wasn't. You know, I'd, I'd seen other people who were like 10 years old who could blow me out. the way. So I had zero interest in ever concentrating on music because I knew there were people who were so much more talented than me. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make sense to try and chase that. So I mouthed off and just said, oh, I'm going to be a Formula One driver, you know? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I kind of heard that. He said, come with me. And he took me out the shop. And my mate, who had set it all up anyway, let me go. Yeah. And he yeah. took me to Brands Hatch, uh, the famous circuit oh, near yeah. London in Kent. And I took him out. He didn't charge me or anything. I took him out in the car and completely messed it up. You know, I was fast, but I was all over the place. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't pretty, but he knew I was quick. And then he must have been, I don't know, 60, 61 or something like that at the time. He jumped in the car and just blew me away. Of course. He was so good, you yeah. know. And I'm sitting there like Jack the Ladder 18, and I've just been blown away like a muppet by this old fella, you know. <laughs> but then I had been watching him, what he'd done. And he said, I want you to do what I've just done. And basically, Mark, I did. Nice, and, nice. And he went, and this is, uh, he, was, <laughs> he was a bit of a dandy, Les, you know. He was a ladies' man, but he had a funny way of speaking. And when we're going around, all he kept shouting out was, Oh, my lovely boy. Oh, my lovely boy. My <laughs> lovely boy. That's gorgeous. Oh, my lovely boy. You know? <laughs> and That's uh, hilarious. And suddenly it, it kind of flowed. And I realized that you had to slow it down, be a lot smoother. Uh, look, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but I'd learned real quick. And that was it. He started making phone calls, calling the manufacturers, the engine people, introduced me to the people who own brands. And he, he did say I was the best he'd ever seen. Wow. Um, from all his time there. We had only started the day before, but no, I'm joking. He had been there years. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Little Not bit. sure if the English humor translates. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I took that as a massive compliment, and I just went, okay, this is it then. Yeah, here so, I go. 
after a little bit of study, realized that this game cost a lot of money. And that's when I got the job working on the rigs. Yeah. So yeah, while I was still studying at college, because I was studying law, economics, uh, and art at college. Oh, wow. So Very I was, cool. even when I was out on the rigs, I still had the books at the end of a 12, 14 hour day, then I opened the books for a while. And um, yeah. That's dedication. Well, I want you to talk about your first really special car in your life. Now, this could be a race car, could be a street car, something that had some meaning for you and some great memories. <laughs> the first car wasn't exactly special. It was an old Ford uh, Escort, which cost ninety pounds. Okay, and and ninety pounds even then was cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this thing, it, it had the most peculiar color. It was it was uh, in a color called silver fox. Hmm. Now silver fox, Ford had a problem with that color because the paint used to actually fall off the car oh, to show all the primer underneath it. Yeah. And it's like the motoring version of alopecia. So that was, <laughs> that was my first car. And this was designed to go out and be Jack the lad. And it looked yeah. like an absolute wreck, you know? Yeah. So, but after I worked on the rigs, then I got myself a little sports car because that was yeah a little treat. So that was great. But the car's, didn't mean that much to me, to be quite honest. I, as I came through motor racing, when I got to Formula 3, I was Volkswagen works driver. So, so that means that Volkswagen was supplying our engines to uh -huh. us. And they gave me a Volkswagen Golf. Now, suddenly you think, wow, I've made it. I'm in a Volkswagen Golf. This is really cool. That's great. And then, then it was different friends at different manufacturers lending me cars. You know, people were just lending me stuff to just – whatever they could do to just keep me in play yeah to, to just keep going so it didn't really bother me that much that some people i knew they were prowling around in the porsches or ferraris or whatever but their their family circumstances were different so there's no problem to me uh, there's no zero jealousy whatsoever but it's just that a, a really smart motor really wasn't on the cards for me yeah but absolutely. even when i was in formula one i had a mini metro and of and then i had a volkswagen Vauxhall, pardon me cavalier okay. which was hand painted which was disgusting <laughs> but it's but that wasn't the deal was to stay around to stay in with a chance in motor racing right. and then if i hit the jackpot yeah sure i'd go out and get some great cars i guess the the real nice cars started coming when i drove for audi yeah yeah because they were they were then giving me Beautiful cars like the S8s and the R8s and things like that. So oh, yeah. that's really appreciated, you no know, kidding. quality cars. No kidding. But, but then a few years ago, I did a deal which was you know, pretty good, to be quite honest. Um, I won't go into it, but uh, as a treat, I bought myself a, a new Ferrari 458. Oh, those are nice. Yeah, there's, there's right. a jump. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that one. Well, I'm going to be yeah. a bit of a psychologist for you here today, Perry. I'm going to crawl into your skull. I guess that might be kind of a scary place to go, but we'll see where we land here. I'm going to ask you this, and I'll bet nobody's ever asked you this. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, you were actually manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, as the person you are, your personality traits, <laughs> what would Perry McCarthy be? You're right, Mark. Nobody has ever asked me that question before. Um, <laughs> it's it's a good question. I, I think that... I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine a lot of people may, might answer it in a similar way. Is um, I don't want this to sound schizophrenic, but there are different sides to me. Okay. Um, and I like to think one of them is 
the humorous side. I like making people laugh. Yes. So I guess from that angle, I'd probably like an ice cream van. Just go around ding a ding a ding a ding. <laughs> an ice cream van. You're the first yeah. ice cream van here. That's a pretty yeah. funny answer. To, but I get it. Making people smile, making people happy. Yeah, ice cream yeah. vans. Yeah. Ding a ling, stuff like that. So yeah. that'd be that'd be the laugh. And then I don't know. The I'm quite exacting, to be quite honest. I I try to be precise, and so really. High tech, high performance. The four five eight, the Ferrari, was yeah. really um, that. That was really special because I, you know, clearly from Top Gear and and in lots for lots of different reasons, I've driven an awful lot of supercars. Oh yeah, and most of them just leave me thinking, my God, they want how much for that piece of junk? You know? <laughs> yeah. But the four five eight came out with a clean set of heels. I tell you, that was. That was really, really enjoyable. Yeah. So there'd be that. Um, and then, I don't know, really. Um, That's quite a combination, a bit of a Frankenstein 458 yeah. ice cream van. <laughs> well, I'm, I, a lot of the time I drive around in a Mini Cooper. They're cool. Because I, you know, I don't, I mean, it was nice to get the Ferrari and I'd had a Porsche Turbo just before that as well. Yeah. But I don't, I don't care that much, to be quite honest, Mark. I've got other interests. There are other things that are way more on my mind and take priority. But I guess, I guess those two. I guess I should say, if I'm feeling particularly dark, I could have a hearse as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, time to time to uh, call our session quits and move on to the next subject. <laughs> Very fun answer, Perry. I love it. Well, we are entering what I call the last lap. This is a place you've been many times. The white flag's out. Checkered is in the distance. Time to put your foot to the floor. I'm going to ask you some questions. Have you give me some quick blips of that throttle? So here we go. If you had a personal habit that you could share that you think has uh, attributed to your success in life, what would it be? I don't know if I want to share it. Um, <laughs> it's it's that thing I was talking about earlier. This the that that level of concentration, that level of determination, yeah. but it, it comes at a price. Yes. It really does. It's not everybody's cup of tea, and it's not. Sometimes it it causes it causes problems. Yeah, um, I think so. I think that to calm that attitude down is to just um, maybe calming that one down and just encouraging people to really have a go at their dream. Yeah. whatever that might be, or at least have a go at the next stage in their life rather than just stay where they are. To know that, you know, a little bit of effort, um, a little bit of a pat on the back, an arm around the shoulder from somebody, if they recognize that, then if they're encouraged or if they're self-motivated, maybe it's worth giving it a go. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the one, Mark. I've just convinced myself. <laughs> I'm off now. I'm in a great mood and I'm the world's your oyster, Perry. <laughs> All right. I'm glad I've gotten you there. How about when it comes to automotive advice that someone else has offered you? This could be racing advice somebody offered you when you got into racing or just general automotive advice, but something that you've held of value. Uh, stop hitting the barriers, Perry. Otherwise you'll die. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a good one. That's one of them. Yeah. Uh, automotive advice. I don't know. I, I can't help immediately, but... I have fear, Mark, and it's not really of speed, but it's fear of things going wrong for other people. Mm. And it 
really, really upsets me to read and learn of somebody's death on the road, especially if they're a youngster or whatever. So I guess the the sensible bit in me would be to turn around and just say, hey, listen, if if you've got a great car or even a piece of junk, but you want to go real quick, you know, don't do it on the road. Right. Or or if there's if there's an outback area where you've got full vision, maybe, maybe get out of your system there. But just remember people coming the other way. And that's that's the big thing for me is yeah. that because if you if you make a mistake and wrap yourself around the lamppost, well, that's tough luck. Yeah. But if you take somebody else out, you know, that's um that's unforgivable. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many great ways to do it these days. I mean, there's track days with clubs. That's how I got into vintage racing. You can go vintage racing. You can race lemons cars. I mean, there's all different levels to do this. Don't do it on the road, please. There are other people there. Now, when it comes to resources, is there a go-to these days that you're really fond of? Maybe this is an app, a website you visit a lot, uh, kind of a resource that you'd like to share? Do you know, I'm on, I'm on the computer an awful lot and I, uh, I, I have a busy mind, Mark. So if I have a question, I will use Google to check it out. Then if I find that interesting, I'll research it, start reading about that. And that could be technology. It could be history. It could be politics. It could be economics. It could be law. It could be anything. So my resources go wherever the question or where, or indeed searching for the answer leads me to. I guess Autosport is uh, kind of one of my standard resources because yeah. I'm not desperately interested in anything except Formula One. So um, I do tend to know quite a bit about that. And I'm quite interested in, you know, the technical approach to F1 and what's happening with upgrades, developments, explanation about aerodynamics and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, so I find that interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, news Really, yeah. I'm very keen to be to know what's going on in the world. Absolutely, uh, that's it. And I, and then to cheer myself up, I read old Tommy Cooper gags. <laughs> cool, I love it. I have a hard time believing you have to cheer yourself up. I think you're always, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're always turned on there, Perry. I want to talk a little bit about your book. It's titled "Flat Out Flat Broke: The Original Stig," of course, by Perry McCarthy. What inspired you? You you touched on it earlier, but what inspired you to write this book? Well, it's, <laughs> I think people, even other drivers, if they didn't know about the latest adventure I'd been in, they'd enjoy listening to the story of, of what's just happened and the mischief that I've created um, somewhere. So, and I've actually, I, I probably missed this out, but I've always actually enjoyed writing. I really do like writing. I like trying to, I like to try and get into such a way that it's, it's punchy and that it can make a serious point or hopefully it can make people laugh. So I like the technicality behind that, the rhythm of language uh, to go through. And that kind of actually has helped me because, as you said, my career developed after motor racing into doing a lot of um, after dinner speech, you know, which is um, it's not exactly stand up. But uh, the idea is to really make everybody laugh yes. and communicate that and keep doing the sketches that translate and find out how to hone those and sharpen them up uh, so that you get into the point and get in that audience reaction. Right. And with the book, I found it very much the same way that I actually drew up um, where my life had been and how it had been coming through. 
and then started thinking about all the stories and how they were interrelated. And then that was fun. And then really, as I was mentioning earlier, my book, and this isn't the sales plug, but sometimes I find books about race drivers who only want to talk about themselves a little bit dull, to be quite honest, is that my one really touches on, you know, my close set of friends and what they mean to me. But of course, we've been against each other and then they've had their spills and disappointments and then you feel for them on those things and hopefully they feel for you as well. So it's intermingled with that and disappointment, heartache, tragedy. It's kind of from the heart, but hopefully, I guess the lesson is that I keep reading from people anyway. Is yeah. that it is motivation, but hopefully they find it very funny. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to put a place for all you listeners to get your hands on a copy. I'll put a link on Perry's show notes page. Of course, all of you regular listeners know there's a place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where there's over 1,700 books listed there, many of them authored by my guests like this book. I make it really easy for you with a quick click to buy. So I'll make sure I put that on Perry's show notes page. Yeah, but Mark, I'll tell you something. Actually, my book is going really well. You know, and we sold another copy just last month. <laughs> well, I can sell you a couple more, so I can carry at least two because I'll be one of them. So don't worry <laughs> about that. No, we have uh, we have a great uh, group of listeners who love books. So uh, expect an uptick enough to at least uh, support your next F1 drive. Don't worry about that. OK, <laughs> there you go. All right. We're up to the checkered flag here, Perry. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy. Now, I'm, I'm interested how you're going to listen or, or answer this, I should say, because it's kind of a fun question. I'm going to buy you a very fun collector car today. Something fun for the weekends, not a daily driver, but I want it to be a car that if you walked out to your garage on a Saturday morning, you'd say, that's the one I'm taking into the country. But there's a couple rules to my game because I'm like any sponsor. I've got rules when I write big checks. One of them is you can't sell it to uh, fund your next project. The other one is I want you to drive it. No dust collectors or garage queens here at Cars Yeah. But here's the final kicker. It's the only one very cool car you can have parked in your garage next to your daily driver. So what am I going to be buying the Stig today? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat and split that. Okay. okay. It's that the the one I would like, but I I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Because they are around ten million dollars, I think. Hey, I bought it's Ferrari a, GTOs here, so don't worry about the price, Perry. Well, it's the <laughs> the Ferrari uh, two hundred and fifty GT, a oh. late fifties um, convertible. Yeah. Oh, I think okay. That's, that's inc and you know what I'm saying earlier about cars don't bother me so much. That, scrub that they do. Um, that I would love that. That's incredibly elegant. I just adore the lines. So the the California Spider we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that would be absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. The one that I might treat myself to next year, and I'd actually again going back and saying, oh, okay, right, this car does mean something to me. So. I will, a midpoint car is get a really tasty renovated E-Type oh, or, yeah. or what I'm really probably aiming for, to be quite honest, is a um, Ferrari 246 GT Dino. Oh, yes. So that's, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm looking at buying probably 
April, May next year. Oh, well, I can't wait for you to do that. The Dino is one of my favorites. And I just recently had a fellow Brit uh, of yours on the show, Cece Muldoon, who has a, uh, she calls her car viola. It's a metallic uh, violet purple color that was a stock color. Those Dinos came in some really cool colors. Do you have a, a choice you'd like to have? Yeah, it's not that choice, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Might be better for a young woman, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, you know, it's there's only one color. You know, it's 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 going to have to be red. As yeah. a, you know, I tell you my inspiration for this. Did you ever get this show in the States, The Persuaders? You know, I don't know that we did, but I do remember the show, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Roger Moore and Tony Curtis. Yes, yes, you know? uh-huh, and they, they have a race yeah. in that movie, yeah. Yeah, but they, but they both had, well, it wasn't a movie, it was a TV series. Oh, I'm sorry, TV, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Lord Brett Sinclair, Roger Moore, of course, had an Aston Martin DBS, I think it was. Yeah. But Danny Wilde, like, you know, a bit of a sharpshooter, he had the Ferrari Dino 246 GT. Yeah. And so that was embedded in my mind from the early 70s, you know, and it's just going, I don't think I'm going to make a Lord, but I'm probably a bit more like Danny Wilde. You know, that's the that's the car. So okay. I think that the, the dream of the 250 GT, yeah, at 10 million bucks, it might be on hold for a while, Mark. Yeah. But maybe. the other one is more realizable next year. Well, I've always loved that. The first Ferrari, although I remember Ferrari didn't like calling them Ferraris. It was the Dino, but it was a Ferrari. The first one I ever drove was a 246 Dino. Uh, back when I was a kid, I was 16 detailing cars. Wow. Yeah. And the Who guy- the hell let you drive that? The guy named Sam Salemi. He was the nicest man. I'd ride my bike over to his house. He had, a, uh, he had one that was actually originally owned by Cher. And I would drive that car home. I always took the long way home. And uh, he also had a, a Porsche 911S that he let me drive that as well. And, of course, my penance was that I had to wax his motorhome, which was one of those GM moon buses, those big, really kind of futuristic-looking things in the 70s. I hated waxing that, but it was worth it to be able to rub my hands over that Dino and keep that thing totally. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, so. I've always dreamed of having one. I think you would be wonderful in that car, and when you get it, I want a picture of you with your new Dino. I think that would be fantastic. Perry, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. This has been really fun to ride with the Stig. Really enjoyed your stories. I can't wait to hear this new project, this secret project you're working on. I know we can't talk about it, but I want you to come back and talk about that when you get it off the ground. Before I let you go, though, is there one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the English countryside in that beautiful 246 Dino? Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't there sound is. so excited buddy <laughs> i don't know it's crikey just just one thing is that you you can't have it all you know um i look back and just go i made a whole bunch of mistakes there um but i wouldn't have got to certain places without that attitude um i wouldn't have had so much trouble if i hadn't have had that attitude you know so it's yeah so sometimes is that it's it's interesting to evaluate your own path and that of your friends as well, but but just to also understand is that you you it's fine being self-critical and but sometimes you do need to just take yourself off the cross and just go okay just believe you can do it all again and uh, just think if you've done something special in the past you can do it again yep. and and just have that belief that you can do interesting things no matter what age you are. There's no 
there's no it's a little bit boring when I see and hear of people just deciding to settle. But there again, they're probably the people that settled when they were a lot, a lot younger anyway. Right. Yeah. Retirement uh, is for the old and wary, not for the young at heart, for sure. Hey, what's the best way for people to keep up with you, if that's even possible? Your website? Um, I, I tweet sometimes or I'm, I've got the Facebook thing open, but I don't always use that. Um, and I do some, you know, kind of uh, some business stuff on LinkedIn, really. But I kind of... Uh, I'm not doing so many interviews at the moment because it's new project. I had the Sunday Times over the other day with my friend Abby Eaton, you know, the female stick from oh, uh, yeah. the Grand Tour. Yeah. So Abby came over for lunch and um, she's a delight to be around. She really is. And so we had a bit of fun there. But um, keeping up with what I do, I, I don't – funny enough, I had a conversation earlier about somebody maybe wants me to come back on track next year. Oh. So, um, yeah, maybe more of that European rallycross stuff, which I so enjoyed. Yeah. That was that was dramatic. No kidding. Absolutely great stuff. So I may not be able to leave that alone, Mark. I might have to, I might have to do that. <laughs> I hope so, Perry. Uh, go for it, as they say. Listeners, you can find everything on Perry's show notes page we've shared today. I encourage you to try and keep up with him. Probably not possible, but you can try. I'll make sure I put links to everything on your show notes page. Perry, thank you for spending some great fun with me today. This has been great and for sharing your life's experiences. Just keep at it, mate. You're doing an awesome job. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much, Mark. Goodbye, everybody. You're welcome. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting, but what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!